But I must admit, there have been many times where I wished I was more normal, whatever that is, and felt that I fitted in more easily. Yeah. So, because it can be lonely being different. Hmm. Hello, you're listening to Truthbook with me, Catherine Smith, a mum and clinical psychologist. I am on a mission to get us more connected, sharing real stories about family life. You will let out a sigh of relief knowing it's not just you, be empowered by other people's words and share a giggle at the funnier side of family life. I'm thrilled to be giving you episode 17 of Truthbook. There's been a long pause in getting this episode out as the last five months have been all about shifting life from Tasmania back to Scotland. Finally, feeling settled back home, I was able to bring myself to listen back to this interview that I did with Robin Gay, whose softly spoken Australian accent and talk of Penguin where we lived has brought back what are now lifelong memories. Robin is another yoga friend of the third age who talks about the power of realising that you can choose who and what you want to be. How being a parent is amazing and challenging. And how the quandary of how to talk to her teenage son about sex backfired. Robin, thank you for coming on Truthbook. I'd say we're more familiar strangers who know actually very little about each other, but we have spent 90 minutes most Tuesdays together at yoga. Yeah. So I I asked you to come on Truthbook because you seem very serene, compassionate, calm, mindful, but I know that like everyone, there's a, a behind the scenes and you're also very willing to come on. So I was yeah. grateful for that. Yeah, thank you. In the process of preparing for most of my podcasts I find out quite a bit about my guests and I can often do that through Facebook and LinkedIn but it was quite refreshing that I couldn't do that with you. <laughs> I know you have a son Nathan who's 32 and, mm-hmm. um, and you used to live in South Australia but you're mm-hmm. now in Penguin. Mm-hmm. Which is the In Tasmania. In Tasmania, mm. yes. With AC view if you stand on tippy toe and know where to look I can actually see the ocean through there. So what brought you it towards being involved in mindfulness and meditation and yoga because it's something that I feel emanate. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Well, I was uh, born in a situation that, that when I was a child I absolutely hated and felt very much like the poor people on the street and are quite disadvantaged in comparison and we lived in a lot of different places and... So there wasn't, and there wasn't a real lot of contact with extended family either. So there were six of us, and I'm the eldest, <clears throat> and we were all born quite close together. And there wasn't a lot of money around, and Dad was away a lot. And Mum did a, an amazing job, certainly in hindsight. And yeah, so it's not a not a, a time that I I feel fond about. And and grew up with a sense of this was my lot. This is it. This is my lot. They get that, and I get this, and this is my lot. I started working. Uh, the lady next door offered me a job cleaning when I was uh, ten or eleven, and she would give me a dollar for the day. And I must admit, it did feel a bit peculiar because the kids in that household were only a little bit younger than me and went to the same school, and there was I cleaning house and emptying their piss pots which I did a host of things and that was one thing that I just I just thought 
these these are kids that I go to school with and I'm emptying their piss pot, but I, I, I'm getting a dollar a day and that was huge in the scheme of things. I could, it would, I could go to the pictures and take one of my siblings with me. So I was willing to forego my pride for, for what this money then enabled me to do. Anyway, so that was sort of a little bit. I mean, it wasn't horrendous. I wasn't, didn't get beaten or abused or any of that. So certainly it was very privileged in comparison, but not one that I, as I said, feel fondly about and didn't feel that there were many options. And then when I was 24, I went to, I found myself looking at, in the paper, and there was an, an advertisement for some sort of psycho, biopsychologist for an evening course of some sort. And I can't remember what it was about, but I went along and, and he was proposing that we, get, we could choose. We could choose how we felt, what we wanted to do. And that was like... An unbelievable that can't possibly be the case and but he seemed pretty convinced about it and I thought well why not that's a bit better than the alternative so for me that was just a mind-blowing sense of I can change this I can change this I can do whatever I want to do so anyway so that sort of I guess that would be the start of me thinking that that how I thought and how I felt was within my power and and I didn't like that, so I choose this and and how might I get to where I wanted to go. Anyway, so that's sort of the start of it and and I have read somewhere that once you start on this journey, there is no end. You never get off. You never get there unless you're a Buddha or whatever and that's going to be a while before I get that far. So if you hadn't had that hardship when you were younger you might not have been drawn do you think so much to that session and that that poster that information that you were you were looking for well I I don't know I may have been anyway I had the sense in and it's only in hindsight this 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 sort of stuff I had the sense that when I was young I think that that our circumstances are not who I am because I can recall standing on the veranda of our house when I was about 10 and looking at the house across the road that didn't have broken windows and had a nice mowed lawn and we had car bodies all over the place and all of that. And and she didn't know the girl who I went to school with who lived across the road didn't have all these kids that were mucking everything up and noisy and siblings, I mean. And and I and I can remember thinking, why wasn't I born in that family? So I guess I had a sense that I was limited to I was limited to that to to my own ability. I didn't feel that I could like when it got to the option of doing a fourth year in a high school. I didn't know that I'd actually pass. And what was I going to do with it anyway? So I might as well go out to work. I didn't think that I was intelligent or had great abilities or any of that I just sort of thought oh he's he's me and I'll just do the best I can which you do with what you've got. So what did 24 you go on to do after that? Uh, I, I guess in hindsight I'd sort of already been a bit out there that I didn't 
in hindsight, but I, I didn't know that I was, given my circumstances, in that Eddie and I got together when I was 15, we got married when I was 20, and, and I thought, but I don't want to be given away at the wedding, and I'm not going to wear white. So I had a hat, sun hat type thing, and a Moby sort of a, a dress. And, and we got married in a hall where we had the reception afterwards, so it was all in the same place. And the minister, instead of saying, who gives this woman away, said, will you welcome Robin into Eddie's family and vice versa? So it was a welcoming, it was a bringing in rather than a giving away. So anyway, so that was when I was 20, and then I suggested to Eddie, we were painting... And there was newspaper on the floor and there was an advertisement for, he was a fitter and turner, for, for working in Tasmania and we were in, in on the West Coast and we were in Wyala in South Australia at the time and the ordinary place in my view and never lived out of South Australia. And so I saw this advertisement on that was on the floor in the newspaper, live in Tasmania, fitter and turner. I said, Eddie, why don't we go? So we did. <laughs> so we lived in Zeehan for a year and then after that very long lead up to getting married, five years, then I just sort of thought, no, this is this is not this is not what I want. And and so we separated and then I backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I tried a few different jobs. I'd only I'd sort of worked in pharmacy and worked in, in supermarkets and that sort of thing, just more that sort of role. And when we came to work in Zian they were desperate for anybody who could hold a pen and paper so I started doing accounts payable admin office type work which was a totally new experience for me and yeah so it's that that ball had started and of of being involved being able to do different things and and had come about just purely from like for instance seeing an advertisement so there was I think there was already a sense of I could do something different let's try this, let's try that. But but I didn't realise until I was 24 and then, and then that, that concept of it was my brain and what I was telling myself so that I could actually direct and, and aspire to many things that I didn't think would ever be in my, in my world. And so then I went on to become a tour guide at Ayers Rock and then came and lived in Tasmania and bought a little house and then did a few other bits and pieces, lived in different places. And then I went to, when I was 30, went to New Zealand and and managed a health food shop over there, which I didn't, like, I just applied for the job because I'd done so many different sorts of jobs that by the time by that stage when I lobbed in a new place or I felt like a change that that I had half a dozen different areas that I could inquire into if I was looking for work so yeah so I sort of found myself in situations where I hadn't really planned it and and was just open to opportunities and so I don't know what came first whether the sense that you can have you can change your world and you can have, can have other than what you think is your lot or whether I was that way anyway. I don't know. I don't know. But that all changed. It took a few years when I got into social work 
because then I looked back at all of those experiences that I'd had working in meatworks and being a tour guide and doing the administrative stuff and a whole host of things that gave me very different views of, of people's circumstances and, and why they were where they were. And, and I realised as a social worker, when I became a social worker, that none of those experiences that I had were wasted. They were all incredibly valuable. But that wasn't until I was 50. <laughs> so What a hmm. rich life. And to then look back and say all of that came together. Mm. What your mum thought of what was her sense of where you were going and how you were growing well to all of my family then and now I'm a bit weird if I do something or other or go to and make a decision about something there's a sort of attitude oh yeah that's Robin that's what she does and were you happy to own being the weird one in the family well I think I'd I'd sort of it was par for the course at that stage that I was a bit different Mm. felt a bit different being the eldest and there were four of us under the age of five so if mum went out or whatever no matter what how old I was I was always the eldest and to therefore then be responsible for looking after everybody so I'd sort of and and my nature is is such my my siblings used to call me well they still do probably bossy boots my nature is such that I was very happy to give orders and tell people what to do including my siblings and so I'd sort of I guess in a way in hindsight it I felt different anyway but I must admit there have been many times where I wished I was more normal whatever that is and felt that I fitted in more easily yeah so because it can be lonely being different hmm but yeah. that's how it is. So, mm. yeah. So, yeah. And you went on to have Nathan, your son. Yes, at, yes. When you were 37. Yes. And he's come along to our yoga a couple of times as well. Mm-hmm. You talked about his experience at school. Yes. He had his strengths, but he was seen a bit different at school. Yes. And might have had a different experience nowadays. So what? what was... What was it like looking on at Nathan and how he got on at school? Yeah, um, what you would people would describe as a helicopter parent, the one that hovers over. And and I think he's very precious and, and amazing and I always have, and that's probably because he is. And, and he's always been so generous and caring and not the slightest bit, like he would share whatever he had. Even as a little kid, as a two-year-old, if somebody hit him, he just he wouldn't think to fight back. He'd just look at them as if to say, well, let me know when you're finished. He wouldn't even run away. He would just stand there and wait until they'd finished. And I remember there was he was two and there was an 18-month-old little friend who was tended to be a bit handy with his hands and whacking and whatever, and that was where I saw a lot of this going on of Nathan just tolerating it and I'm thinking oh he's only 18 months old the other one so okay well we're just not doing too much damage hopefully Nathan doesn't seem to be fussed though the two of them were up bouncing on the bed one day there was a 10 year old up there with them and the next minute both the kids are howling their eyes out and I went up there 
And what the lass said was that they were bouncing on the bed and, and Nathan put his hands out in the process of doing that. It, it bumped this other kid who fell off the bed. So he was howling. The other kid was howling because he'd fallen off the bed. But Nathan was beside himself. He said, oh, I'm sorry, Alex. Are you all right? He was sobbing. He was distraught that, that what he'd done had, had been part of this child being hurt. This child who'd whacked and bashed and swiped and kicked and... Whatever. You cannot, like people say to me, oh, he's amazing, he's so kind, he's this and that. You've done a great job bringing him up. And I don't take any credit for any of that because you cannot, you cannot learn, teach, implant that stuff in people, I don't believe. They are. That's that, that, that age. So he's always been incredibly compassionate, empathetic, all of those sorts of things. And desperate to have fun desperate to be with people so when he went to school it was all about okay now I'm going to get to be with the kids I'm going to get to play with the kids because he was an only child and and so to get to school and then not be able to play with the kids and have to sit at the desk and do work it was not what he thought school was all about and what he is not what he needed. He needed to be able to interact. And so he was constantly in trouble with the teachers because he was always talking and or or distracting the other kids. And the school that where he went initially for the first few years here in Penguin, I don't know what they do now, but they had like a, a, a large table and the kids, like six or eight kids, would sit around the table and they're expected to then get on with their work. But, of course, Nathan never did. And he was always distracting, well, according to the teachers. And Nathan, when he was in grade two, he said to me, Mum, why don't the teachers like me? And I said, hmm, what makes you think they don't like you, Nathan? He said, well, they keep yelling at me. I said, well, why, did they, why are they yelling at you, Nathan? He said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, I do, because the teachers tell me. Because you're talking with the other kids, that's distracting them from being able to do their work. And they said, they told me that it's not that you're not getting your work done because you get your work done in the last 10 minutes, but the other kids can't do that sometimes. So they don't want you to be talking to the other kids. They want the other kids to be able to do their work and you do your work. But he was whatever, how old you are when you're in grade two, that that he wasn't able to change how he was. He continued in that way. So I, I asked the teacher one day, I said, I'd like to like to catch up with you about Nathan. And, and she, meaning like I'd like to make a time that we can talk. But her response was, that child has a remarkable knowledge for a child that age, but he's lazy and he needs to be pushed. And with that, she walked, I... I would want to say stormed off, but that was her match. She, off she went. And I thought, ah, okay, now I see what's going on with the dynamic here, that she wants him, to, as a kindergarten kid, to work. And he's like, no, I want to go and play. Anyway, and Nathan's 32 now, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> he's still as beautiful and still wants to engage and have fun with, with people. But anyway, so, so what I did then was I thought, right, well, I'll put him in a, a change schools, but I'll put him in a class, first of all, where I'd heard that a teacher was fairly lenient. And I thought Nathan mightn't be yelled at so much. And 
change so get his head a bit more okay about being at school before I change him and that worked out really well that teacher was amazing and in fact he said to me one time he said Nathan he just blows me away he said the other day it took him half an hour to get from one side of the room to the other I said really he said yeah he said he was going over to his tub to get his his books or something and he'd stop and talk to this person then he'd drop on the floor and do a somersault and then he'd stop and talk to somebody else and I was thrilled to bits. I thought, this is not, there wasn't one ounce of animosity from this teacher. And, and at the end of that year, Nathan, who was never fussed about sitting writing, I think it was probably because it was all too slow and boring, he'd written a whole page that they'd been asked to give a, a, like a view of themselves. And, and he'd written a whole page, which for Nathan was huge, and, and said that he was a good speller and he had a great imagination and this and this. And I just thought, hallelujah. And at, at the end of grade six, the, the teacher was a man, and I have to say this number of things that he did I wasn't really thrilled about. But anyway, and Nathan spent the last three weeks of grade six with his nose, his desk and his nose pressed up against the blackboard with the teacher and all of the kids behind him. And the teacher said, and I didn't know, Nathan never, he never complained. He never said, this has happened and I don't like it. As I didn't know until the last minute toward the end there and I said to the teacher about it he said yeah he said I just got sick of him I just couldn't bear his talking anymore so that's what he did he's now a radio presenter yes yes <laughs> but it would have been nice to have known that wouldn't it when he was being forced almost to fit in yeah and, and it's still a challenge yeah. today for, yeah. for so many children that well and and because what happened with him because of his nature and he's always been very forgiving very tolerant and one time there was this kid Nathan was about five or six and uh, and there was this particular friend he'd known for a couple of years that I just thought this is this friend was like quite bullying in his nature and and whatever and and I just sort of and I thought because I was accepting of it maybe Nathan is accepting of it so I thought maybe I should model some parameters and, and so I said to him we were sitting in the car and I said I'm just fed up with that boy's behavior I I just think he's a real bully and he's really nasty and I don't want him to come around here anymore and and then I looked over at Nathan he was sitting in the back seat, as you have to do. And so I then looked, looked around to see, and he wasn't sobbing or anything, but there were just rivers of tears running down. And I said, Nathan, what's, what's the matter? He said, I'd rather have bad friends than no friends at all. They were supposedly his friend group. But one of the things they would do is they would take off a piece of strip of plant, the long leaves, and whip him on the legs because he always wore shorts, long or long or short. Sorry, winter or summer, you always wear shorts, and they used to whip him on the leg. And he and, and other things like that. And and then occasionally I'd hear about this sort of stuff and, and I'd say, Well, hey, how does that feel, etc.? Maybe you don't maybe you move away from them when that sort of stuff happens. And he said he didn't twig until quite a long time afterwards. And one day he, this was in that three years or whatever, one lunchtime he went to the, he told me 
in hindsight, he was never a kid that came home and said this, that and then the other happened at school. He said he went, he, it happened and, and he just went to the library at lunch, just removed, I just because he just, no. he said, and they didn't do it anymore. Hallelujah. Mind you, he was about 16 or 18 when he told me this. He's a person who's able to tolerate so much and and with people and is so genuinely empathetic and he forgives anybody anything. And it, it just sort of has made him as a child and I and, and as an adult too a victim in a way of that, that sort of behaviour because the, 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 the bullies and the like, they suss out who's not going to fight back and whatever. So you said, what was it like for me seeing all this happen? Really horrible, hated it, but I couldn't shake him, I couldn't yell at him, I couldn't whatever, all I could do is just be, hey, but you're beautiful and that's nasty and you wouldn't do that. So anyway, or whatever, I don't know, but it all was just so many words and it, it needed to sink into him in his own way, in his own time. And I think in a lot, in a way it has, but he's still learning, he's still learning. <laughs> That stuff, because he doesn't want to push people away and he's completely accepting of them. So, yeah, so anyway, so for me as a parent, it was challenging. But what I thought was, my reassurance was, because he's such genuinely good nature, that's got to count for something. That's got to get him somewhere. There was a teacher that did recognise that. And thank goodness... That the teacher who said about how he took his time yeah, to get across the yeah. and, and hopefully that gave him something. Well, this is it, and and they do say, you know, like in my in my later years, I worked in child protection and and in in social work and the like, and you look at what's going on for kids and how things affect them, and and somebody said. Uh, or not somebody, but it's it's been determined through studies and the like that that if there's at least one person in somebody's life that they that they believe they can trust and count on to be there for them, that is often enough. You went to England for two years when yes. he was 14? Yes, it? yes. And you were saying that that really... Was a transformative time for him. It absolutely yeah. was because he was still, until then, he was in that group, in that school, where that didn't rate very highly somebody being empathetic and compassionate and tolerant and all of those sorts of things. So he was he was the, often continued to be the one that got dumped on and whatever, whatever. And he and he was a bit chubby. He got he got to be a bit chubby and he'd play soccer and they'd cook, they'd have a go at him because he was the fat kid and not running so fast and all of that sort of stuff. And so I decided that I wanted to go and live in another country I'd, years ago I'd had and I had this imagined thought of how I would do that as I would link up with maybe somebody who worked with Shell or somebody like that and then when I became a social worker and then had those credentials I realised that I could actually get a job overseas. What wasn't what I thought would happen I didn't realise it was me who'd be the one who'd be working but anyway at least it got me because I wanted to be overseas I wanted to be somewhere for a length of time not just look through a bus window I wanted 
wanted to be somewhere and feel how it felt and what people did and how they were different or not or whatever. And anyway, so, okay, and I reasoned that if I was going to do that, I needed to do it before Nathan hit college because when you college is such a formative time and it's when you make those friendships that go into adulthood and whatever. So I needed to go over and be back before he started college. And so it was then and it had to be then and so and so I told him that this is what was happening we were going to live in England and my partner at the time had a son who lived in England and in, and in London and so that had visited and, and Nathan knew them and so I thought oh that might help a little but no he did not want to go he did not want to go and and as I was packing he came one day and there was I've got a box of cards there there and it says stones they're called stones have feelings too and pictures of stones in different situations with different characterized faces sad happy threatened whatever and Nathan said to me what are they and I said oh well this is you can give them show show them to kids and it helps them sort of work out how they might be feeling because they might sometimes don't have the words and and I said oh and I'll show you so I spread all the cards out and and I said you pick out three of what how it feels for you to be going to England I was mortified one of the cards was this little stone who was standing in the middle of a circle. All the other stones were around in the circle and he was there alone. Another card was a sense of the the stone being fractured and falling apart because of this weight being very overwhelming, this weight on top. And I can't remember the other one. But I was mortified. I thought, oh, yeah, this is terrible. This is terrible that he feels so bad about going to England. And so in, in the end I had to say to him, because I thought it just has to happen, that's all, I can't not do this, and it might be all right. So I said to him, look, we will go and there will be some good bits about it and maybe some not so good bits about it, but we'll go and we'll intend to be there for a year and if it doesn't work, we will come back. That's all, and it'll and everything will be just the same. But we we I have to give it a go, and I'm not leaving you behind, and so you're coming. That's it. I need to just come the heavy with this and say you don't get a choice in this. This is happening. Deal with it. Because I tried every other way I could to sweet talk it. Anyway, so that's what we did, and when we left, we I wanted to have a bit of a holiday on the way, and I said, and so. And then I had to, having got the job, I then had to work, start work at a certain time, which time to get over there, packed everything else. And I said, well, we're going to stop in at Phuket on the way through, which we'd none, not done anything like that. And I said, so you can choose that we are here for three weeks and it means we have one week in Phuket or we're here for two weeks and then we have two weeks in Phuket. So you choose. And I really thought that he would opt for, I'll be here for three weeks. But he didn't. He opted for, we'll go for Phuket for two weeks. And I was, yeah, I'm like, I was really surprised. But anyway, good. I, so I wonder if that process of you saying, tell me honestly how you feel, and him being able to say, this is how I feel, actually was helpful because he felt heard and listened 
and knew that this was happening anyway. Whereas if you hadn't had that space to acknowledge his feelings and just told him, right, you're just going to have to get on with this, he might yes. have felt more resentful and uh, these things. So that, that wow. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about the role of that until you mentioned it just then, but is every chance that may have been just one of those luck, lucky things, like it's not something I designed, it was just happened that, that yeah, possibly did, did help. But but I I had been trying to hear him and all of that stuff, but it didn't make any difference to how he felt. He still did not want to go, and he was still obviously in his his, his impression of what might happen over there. And I guess that's sort of half of the course because his experience here in groups and with kids was not a fun thing all the way through. And and so I can understand him thinking that when he went somewhere else it might be similar or worse but what happened was we got over there we lucked it in amazingly with a fantastic school only literally round the corner so all the other kids at the school were in the same area as well because he was Australian he was the flavour of the month (laughs) he had these little girls coming up to him and saying say good day and within a month he was he came home because as I said we'd planned to go for a year and within a month he came home and he said mum this is so fantastic can we stay longer longer than a year even though the the estimated time of leaving was still 11 months away he still was thinking this is so great he says this is better than Australia we'll stay anyway so we did stay for two years and then when it was time to come back of course he didn't want to come back so he was he was 17 16 17 anyway he yeah and he didn't want to come back and he was he was in a band and they were going to go to Belgium and play and do all sorts of things and he said mum I can't go I'm going to be famous I said well Nathan you'll just have to be famous in Tasmania because and I explained to him that this is Tasmania's your home. It's important to have a place to feel home. Come here, feel at home, have some strong contacts. If you want to then travel around the world, at least you've got two choices then. You're either there or you're back where your is your, is your home. And I said, if we stay over here, that, that won't happen. That won't happen. And anyway, I just felt it, felt it was the right thing and it has to happen. So I said, but it, and it took him nine months when he came back to to really settle it had he was but it had turned out to be your question was is was a positive experience for him he changed unbelievably in that time he lost all that flabby fat and he grew taller he was on rollerblades he was on bikes he was out doing it he was working part-time after work after school had this had this job delivering leaflets because we were not far from this shopping center and so they used to scoot around putting leaflets underneath windscreen wipers and he'd he'd give his mate look I'll share my if you want to come with me and do it on Saturday and stuff and and they were doing all sorts of things and, and, and going out to gigs and going into London rollerblading. 
There'd be, I'd open the door and there'd be half a dozen kids there all ginormous on these rollerblades and they'd clunk, clunk off and jump on the train and they'd go into London. And then he went, he went to on a school excursion to Paris and we'd already been to Paris for a few days and up the Eiffel Tower. And so when the school excursion went and he went over there, he thought, oh, I don't want to go up the Eiffel Tower. I'll, uh, I'll go for a wander about. So unbeknownst to the teachers or anybody else, and I didn't find this out till he came back, he just went for a wander for a couple of hours. So there he was, 16 years of age, wandering round. And he said he went up the Champs-Élysées and realised he was running out of time. So then he had to ask for directions to get back and he's running all the way to get back. There's my boy running round totally unescorted in Paris and, and not having a, any concern whatsoever. But the confidence. I know, and he that's must what I mean. have actually felt pretty good he was being independent he did he was blossoming yeah he did and 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 he told me when we were leaving the flat both of us were very very just upset about leaving the flat we really really liked being there and he was going to stay with some mates for a few for a couple of months while then my partner and I we went off and did some traveling and things and and so but Nathan and I were there on the last day and we were, we there was no furniture, nothing. We were just hanging out there until it was time for me to go, and then he'd go to his mates, and we wouldn't have this home anymore. And and he said to me afterwards that he went up and looked at himself in the mirror, and he said, "What you've done, okay? You've done okay." Or words to that effect. So. So anyway, so it turned out and then he came back and he's a very different person than when he went. Wow. And and I can show you some photos that illustrate that. It's just amazing. So, And how do you think parenting and how we bring our kids up has changed? Since changed me well, or changed since I started well, or since quest- I was a child? There's, there's two good questions. So yes. I was thinking how is, as parents now, how do you see... A difference to how it was when you were when I was Nathan a child, so, or well, when you were bringing Nathan up. When, when I was you, bringing him were, up yeah, earlier to, to some of the yeah to how things are now. To when you see yeah. children, I'm wondering how you think it's changed. Well, I guess in my in my work mm. until I retired a couple of years ago, there was the, you could see the progression of of more research, more studies changing recommendations about how to be supportive and and empower and all of those things and and certainly that wasn't the case 30 years ago when Nathan was was a little tot and you had that situation like as I said with that kindy teacher his remarkable knowledge for a child his age but he's lazy and he needs to be pushed I mean there wouldn't be many people that would say that in kindergarten now I would hope I would There's, hope there's more a sense of working with the individual and Mm -hmm. how they are and and I would have loved him to love to be able to send him to a Steiner school or somewhere like that that was more focused on the individual but it would have meant moving to Hobart and that Mm. wasn't an option and then your question how is it how has it changed you or how how has what what impact is parenting parenting yeah Yeah. looking back well see I didn't I didn't I didn't know whether I would have any children I hadn't got to the stage of making that decision 
and and I was all about traveling and doing all of that <clears throat> and then Nathan came along and and when I found out I was pregnant I was thrilled to bits and you could have knocked me over with a feather I thought if somebody had said to me a, year, a month ago in a month's time you're going to find out you're pregnant you'll be thrilled I'll go anyway so but I was but my bother was what I'm going to do with the child because I actually hadn't had anything to do with children I'd avoided them like the plague I didn't have friends with children nothing I just didn't want to know and so I'm like yeah I'm happy about having a child but what am I going to do with the child and I still wanted to travel and I thought oh well that's all right mum can come over and look after the child while I'm traveling and then of course Nathan came along and I didn't want to go anywhere I wasn't going anywhere so it was completely out of the blue that I was having a child and it wasn't planned and I was happy about it but but in in having had him after I'd had after he was born <clears throat> in hindsight I had postnatal depression and and I didn't realize and whether it was triggered by something and the birth was yeah it was a bit tricky and and also on the day that his his birth notice was in the paper there was a, a two columns of a a lass who died of cot death and I was immediately paranoid I was still in hospital at the time having had a cesarean and and I was paranoid I didn't want to go to sleep I wanted to just watch him and make sure he's breathing when we got home I would I'd be out hanging the washing and I'd have to run and look at the window and see if he was breathing and I couldn't see so I'd come inside after a few weeks of this, I I got one of those monitor things that go they sleep on. If they're not breathing, then and so and it was night and I'd be and I did breastfeed him and then I'd be, and I'd be really distressed about like when it's shopping, am I going to get back in time? And I was really surprised when he was about nine months old that I went to have a clinic check, or whatever as you do. And they asked how I was going, and I said, "Oh, I'm, I, I, th- I think I'm, I'm getting there. I think I'm starting to get there, I'm starting to settle a bit." And the nurse said, "She said, oh, she said, she said I had you picked as one of the most natural, wonderful mothers, and not only me, but my my co of all the of all the mothers currently we have coming in. We we talked about how wonderful you were, and how whatever, and and I." Th- I couldn't believe it because underneath, underneath, I was a cock case. But somehow I managed to. So when you started off with that, when we were talking about how you present as karma, da da da, I'm like, no, <laughs> not the case often. Yeah, mm. I just wonder if if it feels like almost there's two dynamics going on. There's there's the the one who I am or the potential or whatever and there's the one who is also very human and we doubt ourselves and we we have we've had traumatic experiences that we react to and all of that so there's these two going on that are still trying to marry (laughs) if that makes sense it it does there's a a nice description that some people use of like a swan and you're floating along on the top, looking very graceful and calm. But yes. your legs are furiously. Yes, yes. Going underneath. Yes. So your question was how how does mm. how did parenting? I absolutely adore Nathan and makes everything that happens worthwhile. But it's been a challenge. <laughs> 
been a challenge, but he's taken me so many different worlds that I didn't know existed, like Thomas the Tank Engine and death metal music and all sorts of things I didn't even know existed before. So it's just a constant moving feast. So the the challenges have been there, but the depth and the joy that's, that's yes, come have made yes, it Yes, all. yes, yes. And like it's a cliche, he has taught me so much. But he has because he's just such an amazing person. He's just so, so beautiful to be with. And he's been such an easy in himself, easy person, easy child, too, easy person to be with. We get along very, very well. And he's just so easy to be with. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I'm still a helicopter parent. He's lived independently for five years and returned home two years ago with four cats. (laughs) And one of them promptly had five kittens. Oh, yes. (laughs) So there's there's still lots of there's still lots of yeah but what you do is you just ride with it and yeah so it's it's a work in progress everything the parenting the me the where I'm going and what I'm doing goodness only knows and I'm 69 be 70 in six months time and I still feel like a spring chicken as far as like where I want to go what I want to do I still have lots of ideas. And that's not from a sense of, oh, gee, this would be a good thing to do to, you know, keep your sanity or whatever. It's just, no, that's what I want to do. So where all that comes from, I don't know. And why, I don't know. Well, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, just that sense, even you had it concretely put in, but that sense of I'll, I'll, I'll do what I want to do I'll I'll follow my way and you said maybe it's only Buddhas that finally get that I don't know if anyone finally but you've set a direction that you want to go yeah. in and you didn't, none of none of what's happened you had planned you didn't, you know, no, you didn't have goals no, but you've been, followed your yes. your gut you followed yeah and, and you've taken up all the opportunities that were given to you yeah and, and so often I've had an idea that I want to do this like I want to I want to work in a gym for instance and I did the training for mm. all of that and got in there and I thought no people are just so focused on their muscles and how they look and that's um, I don't want it's to not, do that full yeah. time. So then yeah. I've thought, okay, well I want to do this, and I'll get. Oh, well, I wanted to be a tour guide because I thought I want to travel, need money, so I'll be a tour guide. So I got this job at Airs Rock. I was only there a short time, and I saw the international tour guides coming through, looking miserable. They were seemingly nothing but glorified babysitters for these really spoilt. When people pay money for things, they they can be a bit insy about what they deserve and whatever. And and I just and no freedom, and and I thought nah, don't want to be a tour guide. So I had ideas for different reasons. Had a guy thought no, nah, that's not what I thought, and 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 been diverted in another direction. So that's beautiful that you yeah you followed that flow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been lovely that I've had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Robin, I'd like to bring us to an end but I'd like to ask if there's been any funny moments as a a parent any of those confessions that would be nice to to hear about Mm -hmm. well yeah so sexuality and is something that I've just tried to do my best and just be human about without getting too carried away about it and so we have had discussions and 
and and there are understandings and the like. And uh, but yeah, it's interesting because like one thing is when I was in child protection, he said to me, "Oh look, I was working in such and such with youth, and I've got all these condoms." And so I need to give them away. And, and, and this person said to me, oh, you've got a teenage son, you, you have some condoms. And anyway, so, so she, I don't know whether I put them in my bag or she put them in my bag, but I was still not sure about what I was going to do because I thought, well, do I go to Nathan and say, here are some condoms, as in like, okay, now you use these things? Or, or I don't know what you do. And anyway, so they just stayed in my bag. Anyway, so Nathan, Nathan this night was looking for something or other and I said, oh, it's just in my bag. So I was sitting in the dining room and then deathly quiet and this hand comes round the, the doorway and, and it's waving a big long string of condoms. <laughs> he said, Mum... With the question oh, in his, in his, yeah, so like, please explain. No, you didn't say that, but it was like, Mum. So I thought the very awkwardness or uncertainty I had about saying to Nathan about, okay, here's some condoms or do you, what, what, yeah, it actually was reversed. He was sort of, it, it was paid back on it's me, a, yes. you know, like, Oh, so yeah so then well then but then that was good because I was able to say well look this person gave them to me and I just didn't know how to go about oh. saying okay I give you these condoms and and you're supposed to use them or not use them or I don't know whether I say okay yeah, now yeah. you go forth and have sex or <laughs> yeah. what yeah, yeah. So, oh, mm. but anyway so that was a bit cute this hand coming around with this great long string of mum <laughs> I must admit I was a bit I was I had a bit of a chuckle. That, uh, he oh. might think, oh, his mother is sexually active and he didn't even know. Oh, mm. thank you for sharing <laughs> that. That's very funny. Oh, and thank you for sharing so much. I, I've got so much just from talking to you and, and having been in certainly a situation where we've said to our kids we're moving, or even me mm. being told mm. we're moving. And <clears throat> I do not want to do that. But three years on, my goodness, yeah, the, the, the confidence, the development. Is, yes. And you've you've experienced that. Yes. And I'm really touched to see how compassionate you have been with Nathan, even when 30 years ago that wasn't really a thing, but it came naturally to you. And I I have had the pleasure of meeting Nathan in yoga, and yes, just mm. a delight to be with and wonderful to hear him on the radio with such a good voice. Yeah, for, well, thank for, you. And and very good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I hope that... Leads on, leads and on and places. so the voice, the voice thing, and him and the radio because he wasn't into studying. He's never never been sort of a disciplined type to sit there. And, I, and I, even though I built into conversations when he was younger, like when you go to uni, mm. as it was a given, it was very evident by the time he got to college that was never going to happen. And I was like, well, that was going to become of Nathan because he won't study, he won't stick to anything. All he wants to do is play and talk to people. <laughs> And and now he's on radio and having a ball. <laughs> so there is a place. There is yes. a place. And that will be lovely for listeners to, to hear who may be thinking that they have similar children, that, that they do find their... Yeah. Hopefully find yeah. their place once they're... But as long as you said it, they've got that one person. Yes, that yes. That they know they can trust and yep. believes in them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely essential. Yeah. So Especially from a parent. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Even Wrong. though we worry. Oh, yeah, we do. Thank you so much for sharing your truth book. It's been oh, a pleasure. To have absolute you. pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you. Yes, thank you. Hmm. I could have sat and listened to Robin talk all day. She left me with a sense of feeling safe, that come what may, through ups and downs, you can choose, and being compassionate and kind really does count. Bearing in mind I recorded this a week before we were due to fly home to Scotland, it was apt timing for me. Thank you, Robin. Stay tuned for episode 18, which is with Nathan, Robin's son. And if you know someone who'd enjoy this episode or other Truthbook episodes, share the link with them or pop it on your social media. Or even better, come on Truthbook. Your story of how you've navigated family life will inspire and become part of someone else's family survival guide. <laughs>